And I would love to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Mark. We'll be starting in chapter 15 and moving through the end of the book. And as you make your way there, I want to just say a welcome to all of our uh, new guests here today at Medford High School, maybe joining us online. We're so thankful that you're able to come and worship with us today. Uh, We would love to get to know you. One of the ways we uh, seek to foster that is through our digital connect card. So you can download our church app and find the connect card tab on the homepage of the app and just let us know who you are, how you found out about Redemption Hill. We would love to follow up with you, pray for you in any ways that you need prayer in this season. Uh, And then also, if you are new or uh, sort of new to Redemption Hill, never had the opportunity to visit what we call Next, it is happening immediately after the service. Pastor John is going to be leading that for us in the lobby. So if you've never had the opportunity to stick around for Next, quick 15-minute meeting that just shares a bit of the vision and values of Redemption Hill, we would love for you to join uh, in the lobby afterwards. Well, uh, it is Christmas season, and with Christmas season comes, thank God, at least we can have some this year, Christmas parties. And last night, we had our Redemption Hill Church staff Christmas party. Just look at this beautiful team up here. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to name everyone's name, but you know these beautiful people. And we just had an amazing time uh, celebrating together uh, God's goodness. What a great year it's been as a church family. Uh, we especially took time uh, to honor Pastor John Chastain, who's wrapping up his journey as a full-time pastor of Redemption Hill uh, this year, but not moving away from Redemption Hill. He will remain as one of our volunteer elders as we move forward as a church family. But we, we took some time, shed a few tears uh, with Pastor John, uh, just, just celebrating God's goodness to our church uh, in those moments. Uh, but we also had some fun, you know, and we, we exchanged gifts. And, you know, sometimes people call it a, a Yankee swap. There are other names for it. But, you know, someone received this, this beautiful this beautiful pillow. And I don't know about you, but it, to me it screams Christmas, does it not? I mean, it's just the red, the bright, the bright red, you know, just screams. It's, it's Christmas time. There's a song that says that, right? And we sing that song together. But, you know, it's just, this, is, this is a unique pillow because if you just kind of do a little something like that, you know, and then you just kind of keep, yeah, that feels good, you know, just to rub those secrets. And then all of a sudden you find that, yes, yes, indeed, it is it is. Not just a Christmas pillow, it is a Christmas pastor's pillow. We have the, the, the wonderful and beautiful Pastor John Reddy here with his Facebook profile, at least from some point in his Facebook life. And uh, Pastor John from a few years ago uh, with our soccer night celebration at the Boys and Girls Club. And then, I don't know, they must have like, you know, started the opposite direction with me because uh, this, this picture of me kind of leaning back, it's almost like a nostril shot. I don't know if that's advisable, uh, but I was really happy. This is from our honeymoon. So if you think I'm looking younger, uh, yes, I was younger. Uh, but anyway, this, this pillow has now landed in the hands of uh, one staff team member. And if you, if you are persuasive enough and you have enough money, uh, you might be able to persuade them to sell this to you. So I just want to put this over here uh, safely away so no one steals it during the sermon. Uh, but I just wanted you to know about that. Uh, we had a great time last night, and we love our staff team, and we want to honor them uh, every chance that we get. Um, but it, it is Christmas time, and we are meditating on the coming of Christ. I hope you've caught our Insta stories where Scripture is being released day by day, pointing to the coming of the Messiah. That's what Advent means, coming. And as Talis and Tina uh, reminded us through the Christmas uh, reading that there was wonder and awe in the stories that even wise men from the East traveled hundreds of miles to pay a visit because they saw the star and they were rejoicing exceedingly with joy that they were going to visit this newborn king. And when they came, they fell down and they worshiped him. Well, today as we finish our journey in the gospel of Mark, we come to the account of Jesus' death and, yes, his resurrection. 
And I don't know about you, but it may feel a bit awkward to you during Advent season to be considering the death of Jesus and now the resurrection of Jesus. But if we take a step back, we need to understand that it is vitally important that we understand the birth of Christ in context of the rest of his life. That this baby, as we saw last week, was a baby who was born to die. But this baby born to die did not remain dead, but this baby born to die was born to rise and to give life to all who look to him. And so I want to read this portion of scripture for us. Mark chapter, we're going to go back to verse 33 of chapter 15, and then we are going to finish in verse 8 of chapter 16. Read along with me as I read these words for us. It says this, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold. He is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that he died in this way and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And they were also, there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was already dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen, bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. 
And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray one more time. Father, we ask that in these moments, as we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that these would be more than words on a page, that these would be more than words coming to our ears, but these words would grip our hearts. God, that you would speak to us of the truthfulness, and not just the truthfulness, but the life-giving reality of the life of Jesus rising from the dead. God, wherever we need to know your life and experience your life and, and receive it in greater measures, God, would you breathe life into us today? We pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I want to cover the highlights of the story and then give one overarching truth that I believe will help us understand the connection between Advent and Easter, between the birth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And it is a truth that can carry us every single day of our lives. As we back up to chapter 15, verse 33, it reminds us of the death of Jesus that we looked at last week. At the beginning of chapter 15, we saw Jesus on trial before the governor of Roman ruling Pilate. And he was falsely accused, unjustly condemned, brutally mocked, beaten, scourged, and then crucified. But as we were reminded last week, the physical suffering of Jesus could not, did not compare to the emotional and spiritual suffering as he was forsaken by his heavenly father as he bore the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, so that we might not face the penalty for our sin, which is death, but might have life through his death. And now as we see this week, life through his resurrection. And this is the story that, yes, has amazing potential to breathe life into our souls. But, but I don't want you to miss, I didn't actually do a great job highlighting verse 39 last week. It was in there and in the main point, but I want to come back to it this week because it's too important for us to miss in our journey through Mark's gospel that verse 39 serves as one of the key verses in the gospel where this Roman centurion who is facing Jesus and sees him breathe his last, says, truly this man was the son of God. You see this confession on the lips of someone who never knew Jesus, never knew the story of Jesus, and yet can see that no one has ever died like him. No one has ever revealed that Actually, what they are crucifying him for is really the truth that he is the king of Israel and that he is the very son of God. And this is what Mark wrote his gospel to convince us of, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God, chapter 1, verse 1. And now we see it confirmed on the lips of this Roman centurion. But now we move to the burial of Jesus in verses 42 through 47. We know that Jesus died at 3 p.m. on Friday. And the text tells us that it was the day of preparation. That means it was Friday. It was the day of Passover, but also the day before the Sabbath. In Jewish law in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 3 would tell us that the law stipulated that anyone who died on a tree must be buried that same day. Which means that Jesus' closest followers only had roughly three or four hours to take his body down from the cross if they receive permission and then give him a honorable burial. And this is what happens. Verse 43 tells us that a man named Joseph who was from Arimathea took the lead and made it happen. Mark tells us very clearly that this man was looking for the kingdom of God. John chapter 19 would tell us in clearer terms that Joseph was a follower of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. He was on the council of the Sanhedrin, some of the same people who saw to it that Jesus was crucified. So it took great courage for him to go to Pilate in, in the face of uh, you know, ridicule and 
possible persecution from his fellow council members who wanted Jesus to die as a criminal and to be thrown to a common grave reserved for criminals. And yet Joseph has courage and he goes to ask Pilate for the body of, of Christ. And Pilate is surprised because normally Death by crucifixion happens over many, many hours. He was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died. So surprised that he called for that Roman centurion who saw his death to verify the death of Jesus. Which, by the way, tells us that he didn't swoon. One of the counter arguments against the resurrection is that, oh, Jesus didn't really die. He just kind of passed out. And then that's why he was able to walk out of the grave. Uh, but, but, but no, 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 no. The Romans knew how to kill people. They were professional killers. The, the centurion knew when a man was dead, and he saw to it that Jesus was dead, and he confirmed it before the governor, Pilate. So Pilate grants Joseph permission, and Joseph uses his vast resources to give Jesus a burial fit for a king. We see this in two respects. Number one, we see it in the amount of spices that were gathered to give Jesus, a proper burial. John chapter 19, verse 39 tells us that they brought 75 pounds worth of spices to anoint his body. But then number two, we see that he, Jesus is placed in a tomb that, that is cut out of a rock. Joseph's own tomb. And, and these two signals point to a royal burial for the king of the Jews. But then in verse 47, we see that there are two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, who were, the, the, the Greek text says, they were watching and saw where he was laid. In other words, this wasn't just like a, a quick kind of peek and, oh, we think this is the tomb, but no, they, they are paying attention. They are looking for a prolonged period, seeing what is unfolding, which contradicts another counter argument that Jesus didn't really rise from dead is that, oh, everyone went to the wrong tomb. No, 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 no. They were watching. They saw that, that he was placed in this specific tomb, and, and now we see why they were watching in Verse 1 of chapter 16, when it says, When the Sabbath was passed, three women, Mary Magdalene, who was maybe the leader of the, the women disciples of Jesus, and also Mary, the mother of James, who was also Mary, Mary, the mother of Joseph, just mentioned, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, and also a woman named Salome. It says that they brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. What we see here is there are three women who actually play really the most important role from the moment Jesus is buried to the moment that he is discovered to be risen from the dead. And we need to take in and to consider the importance of the truths that we see about these women followers of Jesus Christ. Number one, they are faithful. They are faithful. Where were they when Jesus was crucified? They were there. They were watching from a distance. When, when Jesus' other disciples had abandoned him, these women were faithful. They were watching. They were there. They are present. They are held up as faithful disciples, even in contrast to most of Jesus' male followers. But then not only are they faithful, they are also chosen. They are chosen by God to carry out two very amazing and special privileges. Number one, they are chosen to be the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 2 tells us that they went to the tomb very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. That would be Sunday, which is why we worship primarily on Sunday as a gathered church family, not on the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we gather on Sundays. But then in verse 4, as they approach the tomb, the drama builds. And at the beginning, Mark uses this phrase, and looking up, 
It says that they saw that the very large stone had been rolled away. And so to their amazement, they walk in and they find an angel in the tomb who announces to them this greatest message that human ears have ever heard, that Jesus, the Son of God, has risen from the dead. So they were the first to hear the message. They were the first to see that Jesus, who they had just seen die on Friday, has now risen from the dead. But not only that, they were chosen to also be the first messengers of this good news. Because the angel then says in verse 7, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, that you will see him there just as he told you. The women were faithful and the women were Chosen, chosen to be the first eyewitnesses, chosen to be the first messengers of this greatest news. Which leads us to the third truth that I hope you'll see this morning about the women. The women were also evidence that the resurrection of Jesus is true. You say, Tanner, what are you talking about? Well, um, surely you will meet some people who would say like many in the first century said and have said throughout the centuries that Jesus did not really rise from the dead, but this was just a story fabricated, invented by his disciples to prolong the legacy of their fallen leader. And so they came up, hey, it was a really good attempt and it was a really great story, but you know, people don't rise from the dead, even the one that says he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we can't believe this mythical story that Jesus rose from the dead. But that view is refuted by all of the evidence that we find in the gospel accounts and throughout the rest of the New Testament. And exhibit A that we find here this morning are these women. You say, well, Pastor Tanner, what what are you talking about? Why these women? Well, sadly, in the first century, women would have not been allowed to be eyewitness testifiers in a court of law, which means that in the first century, first century Israel, they would not have been viewed as reliable witnesses. So I I don't know about you, but... If I'm going to make up a story, I am not going to make up a story that most people would say will not hold weight and people won't give credence to. And yet that's exactly what the gospel writers do. They they give the facts just as they are. And so the women are the first to arrive and they are the first to see him. And we should pause and say, hey, listen, thank God that we don't live in the first century. Thank God we live in the 21st century when women's equality has made much, much progress. But you and I both know we have a long ways to go. And I just want to say, even as pastors, listen, we are so thankful for the women in our church, the the women leaders in our church that set the pace in building a culture of prayer and lead teams and lead groups and direct ministries in our church for you saw on our staff Christmas party picture. But we also recognize as pastors, listen, there there are steps that we need to take. There are ways that we can do a better job of equipping and empowering the women of our church to lead out and to help advance the mission of God. And we are inviting your help as we seek to do that moving forward. But the point here for our consideration is this, that if Mark was fabricating the story, he would not have inserted women as the first eyewitnesses and first messengers of the resurrection of Jesus. They serve as strong evidence of the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we look at the conversation and take a deeper look at the high point of the story, I want to jump to verse 8 where it says how the women respond. 
It says that when they hear this news, it says they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And at the end of verse 8, we have the end of the gospel of Mark. And I know that raises some questions for you if you have your copy of God's Word open or you're reading on your Bible app for a couple of different reasons. Number one, this feels, if this is the end of Mark, if the gospel of Mark ends with verse 8, then this feels like a very, very abrupt ending. And, and, and two points about that. Number one, some scholars even debate whether or not there could have been a longer ending of Mark that was somehow lost. And so we will, we will likely uh, go to eternity, maybe never knowing for sure whether there were a couple of more verses that Mark had that were missing, okay? My, my lean, my gut is that we have it as it is. We have it as it is written. We have it as he intended to give us. But, but then number two, we also see that in, in most copies of the Bible, you have not just verse 8, but you have verses 9 through 20. And if your Bible is like mine, you will see a footnote or a bracketed comment that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20, which is the overwhelming majority a view of scholars today is that the gospel of Mark does not have a longer ending verses 9 through 20, but as we look to the earliest and most reliable manuscripts of Mark's gospel, verses 9 to 20 are nowhere to be found. It doesn't mean that the words are untrue, that if you read them, you might not benefit from them and be encouraged by them because really you would find all of these words reflected or almost verbatim in other places in the New Testament. But because the most reliable manuscripts do not have them, we're stopping right here at verse 8 because we believe this is the ending of Mark's gospel. But let me come back to the, the thought, or maybe you feel that too, as we read verse 8, and the women go out, and they're astonished, and they don't even go do what the angels say. Feels quite abrupt, right? Maybe, maybe not. It's abrupt if we read it with 21st century eyes that have heard the story perhaps not just once but a thousand times and missed the fact that they have just been told that a human being rose from the dead. That they just heard the greatest news that the world has ever heard. Little wonder that they are overwhelmed in amazement. Little wonder that they are astonished. Little wonder that they are trembling and they have been seized with trembling and astonishment. Perhaps Mark ends his gospel in verse 8 to leave us with that same sense of astonishment and trembling that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. But then if that doesn't help you or persuade you or make you comfortable with Mark's seemingly abrupt ending... What about this? What if, what if verse 8 isn't the high point of the story? I mean, we sometimes we think like the last words are going to be the most important or the last words are going to be, you know, the ones that we really need to, to hang on to and process. What if the high point of Mark's story is not verse 8, but it is verses 6 and 7? which tell us of the real hero of the story, the main character of every story in the scripture, just as Marcia and I taught our kids on Thursday night from the Advent devotional written by Ann Voskamp that Jesus is the hero of every story of scripture. The story of Joseph and his brothers point to the story of Jesus forgiving us when he was wronged. Yes, Jesus is the hero. The high point is found not in verse 8, but in verses 6 and 7, and we should take a closer look at them. It says that the women respond, and they're alarmed. 
But the, the, the young man who is clearly an angel, not only does the white robe indicate that and point to that, but the other gospels verify that there is an angel present at the empty tomb. And the angel goes on to speak to them, and he says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, now, I don't know about you, but I just love how God does what he does. I just love how God orchestrates his plans and meets us where we are. And here's what I mean by that. This, this angel, an angel is a messenger sent by God. An angel is a minister sent by God. Angels, listen, an, don't just listen here. Angels are as real today as they were on the first Easter Sunday morning. And, and this angel is delivering God's message. And this is such a short statement, and yet it's loaded with meaning that we need to understand. First off, he says, Jesus of Nazareth. This highlights the humble origin of Jesus. Do you remember in John chapter 1 when Nathaniel hears Andrew and the others saying, hey, we have seen the Messiah. He is from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, we're talking about the sticks. We're talking about there's no famous people from there. There are no kings from Nazareth. Like the, the Messiah can't be from Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. The same Jesus born in a barn. This humble king. He has come, and he has come, and he was crucified, which leaves no doubt again to his death. Jesus really died on Good Friday. But then the angel declares the, the key words, the key message, the greatest news. He has risen. He is not here. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but like we get to this we get to this climactic moment in human history and I'm thinking the angel gives us a little more. Like, could you tell us like how it happened? Could you tell us like some of the ins and outs? Like, could you at least like quote an Old Testament prophecy and like really back all of this up so that we can like have more than maybe seven, eight words? Like we could have a couple sentences, you know, more than a couple of sentences. But loaded within these words, he has risen. He is not here. Some scholars point out how this phrase can be translated. He has been risen. He has been raised. And this could point us to a, what scholars would call a divine passive. In other words, he was raised to life by a power that is not found in human strength, but no, the very power of God. And this power is attested to throughout the rest of the New Testament that the Father raised Jesus from the dead, that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That yes, Jesus even says in John chapter 10 that I lay down my life and I have the authority to raise it back up. Yes, God raised Jesus from the dead. And therefore, he was not there. But then the angel, and this is what I'm talking about when it's like, you go, I mean, just a just can you, can you just imagine that there was like this glowing, white, bright as the brightest light you've ever seen just kind of perched up here on, on our speakers? I mean, can you just imagine if you walked into the theater today and it's not just Pastor Tanner up on stage, but there's a glowing angel over here? I mean, I mean you, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know what to say. And so because not only the presence of the angel, but then the, the words that they are speaking, these women are beside themselves. They don't, who would know how to respond? And yet the angel, being kind messengers of God, speaks to the women, and he just says, hey, listen, trust your senses here, women. <laughs> look, Mary, Mary, Salom, look, look at the place where you saw his body laying just a couple of days ago. Oh, look, he, he's not here. He is risen. Trust your senses. Believe what your eyes are telling you. Jesus is alive. That's verse 6, but what about verse 7? Verse 7 points us to the moment of 
the commission of the disciples. Some people call this the, the, the allusion to the great commission in the gospel of Mark. You say, Pastor Tanner, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, if we work backwards here in verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel tells them that, hey, the story is unfolding just as Jesus said it would. We, we talked about last week and we read like nine different scriptures, Old Testament scriptures. We could have read so many more that, that point us to Hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross, it was all foretold in the early books of the Bible. The same is true for his resurrection, but even Jesus himself, multiple times, not only told his disciples, hey, I am going to die on a cross, but I am also, after three days, I am going to rise again. We find this in chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, chapter 10, verse 34, to which we could also cross-reference chapter 9, verse 9, chapter 14, verse 28, and chapter 15, verse 29. He even tells them specifically at the Last Supper as captured in chapter 14, verse 28, where he says, I'll start in verse 27, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. He was right prophecy fulfilled. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Prophecy fulfilled. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Every word that Jesus spoke was true. Every word that Jesus spoke was full of life. So the angel says, hey, don't you remember? He said he would go, he said he would rise. He said he would go before you into Galilee. But let's keep backing up a little more. What is the significance of Galilee? Well, here are a few questions. Where did Jesus call these women and the other disciples referenced? To follow him? Galilee. Where did the majority of Jesus' ministry take place? Galilee. Where were the disciples trained for and sent out for ministry and mission? The primary place is Galilee. Where was the primary place of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God? Galilee. So we should not be surprised that Jesus wants to meet them, as some have said, back on their home turf to give them the greatest assignment and privilege, which is to take what they know about his life, about his coming, about his living, about his dying, about his rising, and to go into all the world and to make disciples of every single nation, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus said. It's little one that the angel says, hey, you need to go into Galilee and you need to Meet him there because that is where he is going to meet you and he is going to recommission you and reassign you for the work that he has planned for you and he has planned for the entire world. Galilee is the place, as Grant Osborne says, for their failure to be turned to victory, especially for Peter who is singled out by the angel. We've seen his denials and his failures in previous weeks. But in all of these details, listen, listen, listen. In all of these details, we must not miss the overarching message of Mark. We must not miss the overarching message of these words, of this account that Jesus has been raised from the dead and his resurrection changes everything. If Jesus is alive, it shows us and it tells us and it proves to us that every word he spoke is true. 
If Jesus is alive, then it tells us that, yes, he does have the victory over our greatest enemies, our own sin, as well as our greatest enemy, Satan, and our greatest enemy in life, which is, yes, death itself. But not only that, listen, listen, listen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us and tells us and screams to us that our God is a God of life. He is the God of life. He he made us to live. He made us to have life. He wants you to have life today and life forever with him. Our God is a God of life, and that, that brings us to the, the primary encouragement for you today. The primary encouragement for you this Advent season as we reflect on the coming of Jesus, but the coming of Jesus only makes sense as we hear the, resur- the, the rest of the story and understand the resurrection of Jesus, that we can live life through the unending life of Christ. That's what, I, what, that's what I'm praying for you this Advent season. This is, I, as I was on my knees this week praying for our church family, I was saying, oh God, would you fill us up with your Holy Spirit to be full of your life. That as some of the songs we sing on Sundays, that your life would be flowing through our veins. Because what the story of Jesus tells us is that Jesus is himself life. I want to take you, as we wrap up the gospel of Mark, to another gospel that unpacks this theme of life like no other book in the Bible, and that would be the gospel of John. In the gospel of John, we see that Jesus is life, that life is found in Jesus because he is life. He is the source of life. Our life, listen, your life is derived from and dependent on Jesus because life is found alone in him. And it says this multiple times in the gospel of John, the the opening words of his gospel, in him, in Jesus was life. And his life was the light of men. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just moments before he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, he says to to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is life. He is the source of life. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again that he might give his life to us. He came to bring us. I hope this blows your mind this morning. Jesus came to bring, not just like the world in a generic sense, yes, we're thankful for that, and this life is available to everyone on the planet, but no, he came to bring you personally. You fill in the blank beside this statement. Jesus came to bring Tanner Turley life. And the same is true for you. Jesus said it in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John chapter 14, I hope you're getting a little bit excited and some life is flowing through your spiritual veins where he says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live. And listen, please let me help make the connection here, okay? We're not just talking about existence, God didn't make us to exist. God made us, yes, to have a physical heartbeat. But the reason we have a physical heartbeat is so that we would hear the heartbeat of our God and that his heart would beat into our hearts and that the rhythm of our heart would reflect the rhythm of his heart. We're talking about spiritual life flowing in our veins. Health is found in Jesus. Strength is found in Jesus. Enjoyment and delight are found in Jesus. 
The true life that we all long for, the true life that God made us for, the true life that is coming in the end when God comes back and Jesus restores everything and he makes all things new. It is all found for us in him now. Life that is whole, complete, not lacking in anything good, beautiful, or true. This is why Jesus came and lived and rose to bring us this kind of life. And so listen, listen, when you celebrate this Christmas, this is the reason for your celebration. As you gather around with friends and family and you enjoy relationships, this is the relationship that we were ultimately made for and that ultimately delivers the life that we long for. When you experience joy, listen, it is, it is a reflection, a faint echo of the song that has been playing for eternity in the heart of God, that he is full of joy. Which I hope you see, listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees and delivers everything that he came to bring us in his coming that we celebrate in Christmas. So, so, so listen to the promises. Listen to the promises that are captured for us in Luke chapter 2, the, 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 another uh, account of the coming of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it says this, that the angel says to the shepherds, who were overwhelmed by the sight of angels in the sky and the, over the fields where they were watching their sheep. And the angel says what? Listen, listen to these promises and what Jesus came to deliver in his first coming. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Anyone want a little more joy in their life? What is this news of great joy? That, that will be for all the people. Here it is. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Jesus came to bring joy, and that joy is wrapped up in the salvation that he brings and offers every single one of us. This Savior is none other than Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And then it says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom, with whom he is pleased. I hope you'll see this today. When Jesus arrived, joy arrived. When Jesus arrived, salvation arrived. When Jesus arrived, peace arrived. When Jesus arrived, hope arrived. All of the things that our hearts long for. They are not found in a set of philosophical ideas, nor are they found in the greatest of human effort and achievement to attain them. They are found in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is joy. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is peace. Jesus is hope. I don't know what you need today. I don't know what your heart is crying out for this Christmas season. If you're lonely and you need a relationship, Jesus is love. If you're anxious and worried and can't sleep at night, Jesus is peace. If you're stressed out about what's to come and you don't know what's around the corner and, and you, you're worried about bad news or not sure if good news is going to come, listen, Jesus is hope. It's all found in him. He is the greatest treasure. And so I want to ask you this morning, where do you need Jesus to breathe life into your soul?
This is why he came. This is why he lived. This is why he died. This is why he rose again, so that the world can know how good our God is. I love what, I'm not going to give the book or the movie or whatever away. You can read between the lines if you want to, but I, I read a book or a movie or listened to, I'll throw a podcast in there, whatever. Okay, and, and, the, and, it's, and it, it had this, this line in it. If all of this sounds too good to be true, we need to understand that if there are two things our God is full of, it is goodness and it is truth. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that in the quietness of these moments, that you would show us, Lord, where we need to open our hands and say, oh God, please, would you breathe your life into me? God, would you breathe hope? Would you breathe love? Would you breathe peace, Lord? Would you, would you breathe joy? Would you breathe health and wholeness into the souls of my friends today? God, I need it more and more in my own soul. God, as you reminded me this week in Isaiah 42, that, that I wouldn't be able to stand upright unless it was you who upheld me. God, thank you. Thank you that you are our strength. Breathe strength in us today. God, we receive from you. We celebrate you, God. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And we thank you for how you give it to us so freely. So, so abundantly. And we say thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.